There's handouts in the back if you didn't um, pick one up yet. Um, we're continuing uh, our series, Teach Us Your Word, uh, learning how to read, study, apply the Bible uh, faithfully for our own benefit, for the benefit of, of others. And um, we've been looking at, um, we've been using an acronym to kind of learn how to uh, learn some particular Bible study skills. Um, the CAPTOR plan, which is um, kind of a six-step Bible study. And really all, all, all we're talking about here is essentially inductive Bible study, if you're familiar with, with that. Just learning to see what's there in the text, um, understand it, and then apply it. And, and so CAPTOR is, is an acronym that stands for um, Context, uh, Analysis, Problems, which we're going to be talking about today, themes, obligations, and reflection. Now, if you're looking at this acronym, you might, and you were here last Sunday, you might be thinking, well, we talked about themes last week, the T. Why are we going backwards? I was supposed to teach this two Sundays ago, but was sick and um, missed uh, the class. So we're going back, but it's fine because the order of these is not... Um, you're always doing many of these steps at the same time. So we're going to be talking about uh, problems today, solving problems. Now, by problems, we don't, I don't mean um, you know, apparent contradictions or things like that in Scripture. We're really talking about items that you need to research. So you look at a text, and there's things that, that you just don't understand, and so we're calling those problems, and we're going to talk today about how do you, how do you figure out um, things that you don't understand when you, when you read the Bible. So we're going to be looking at a, a few ways to do that. Um, before we go any further, let me pray for us, and then, and then we'll jump in. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the gift of your word. We thank you that it's a light to our path. We thank you that... It, it refreshes and renews us, instructs us. Uh, we pray that you would help us to be better students of your word, that we would uh, be able to read and study your word for um, our own spiritual growth and for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I mentioned we're not, we're not talking about like apparent contradictions, the kinds of things that... Um, you know, like a skeptic might bring up about the Bible, like how can you believe it's true, it says this, or whatever. We're, we're, what kinds of problems are we talking about? Let me give you two, um, let me give you two categories of problems uh, that Daniel Doriani talks about. He's the one that developed this captor method. Um, the first one is what, what we'll call obvious problems. So that's the kind of thing where you're reading your Bible, you're looking at a text, and there's just obvious things you don't know about, you've never heard about. Um, so, for example, unknown names, you know, it could be names of people, you're like, wow, never heard of that character before. Um, could be unknown places. So we're going to look at a text as we practice this today that is full of geography and um, from the Old Testament. And for most of us, it, it's just a bunch of names, and we have no idea what, what it's talking about. Um, so unknown names, places, um, words even. So there could be theological terms that we're unfamiliar with. Um, there could be technical terms. For example, when you're reading about um, the, the furnishings of the tabernacle and the temple, um, there's a lot of words in there that are like, I don't even know what piece of furniture or fabric or whatever that is, and you have to look it up. Um, there can be unknown customs. So, for example, I don't know if you remember when we um, studied the book of Ruth a while back, uh, there's this scene where, um, towards the end of the book, where Boaz is, is trying to redeem Ruth, and remember, there's a, another relative. There's all these customs that, that are somewhat unfamiliar to us where there's some other relative who has the first um, opportunity to marry the, the widow Ruth. And Boaz is trying to find out, is this guy going to 
going to do it. And if not, you know, he's going to marry Ruth. And they do this whole ceremony where like somebody takes their sandal off and all that. And we're kind of like, what is that about? Um, so there's customs that, that we're not always familiar with. And then often, especially in the historical narratives, so we're going to look at a passage from uh, 1 Samuel, so First and Second Samuel, even you know, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, some of the Gospels even. There's references to, to past events that may or may not even be talked about in the Bible. And so sometimes, you know, we, we read about that and, you know, somebody says, remember when King so-and-so did whatever? And we're like, I, I don't know what that is. What's the significance of that? So obvious problems are things you where you look at the text and you're like, not sure about that, definitely need to, to look into it. The A second kind of category of, of problems are, what Doriani calls hidden problems, and this is um, these are things that maybe at first glance we we think we're familiar with, and then as we start to dig a little deeper, we realize I actually don't know exactly what that's about. So, um, you know, names, places, customs, and things that we've encountered before. You know, if we, if we've read the Bible to some degree, but we're not actually all that sure who the person is, or, for example, the the custom I mentioned of taking the sandal off and all that. Yeah, I've read that. I kind of know it has something to do with legal procedures, but I'm not quite sure, actually. Um, So maybe you have, you know, I've heard of that, but honestly can't tell you what it's about. And Or, you know, I've heard what people say about that, but I don't really know. Um, So, for example... uh, you know, the Matthew chapter 2, the account of the wise men visiting uh, the baby Jesus. Um, now, I know most people know the answer to this, but how many wise men were there? What does Matthew say? Somebody said three, right? Good. Matthew doesn't say that. He just says there were wise men. And um, he actually doesn't tell us how many there were. Um, I know, so there's tradition that's developed over time because they bring three gifts, and the thinking is, well, each wise man brought a single gift and gave it to to the family, and so there must have been three. And um, even in church history, there's a tradition um, of the names of the men. I can't remember them right now, but there's you know there's Christmas carols that talk about them and everything, but. Um, you know, it's a it's a reasonable suggestion that there were three, but the text itself doesn't actually say. And that and that's an example where we you know we've got some familiarity with the story, but maybe you know we've heard other things and, and we're reading into the text things that aren't there. Um, how old was Jesus when the wise men visited? I mean, they were there when he was born, right? No, I mean, the text doesn't say, and actually, I should say, the text says after he was born, and then, you know, when Herod finds out that um, the wise men didn't come and tell him where Jesus is, uh, remember, he orders his soldiers to slaughter all the the children, male children, two years and younger, uh, which indicates that most likely this was not, you know, the wise men showed up you know, an hour after Mary delivered the baby Jesus, um, they came quite some time later, perhaps even up to two years after he was born. So again, you know, just an example of kind of what we're calling hidden problems, things we think we know about, but upon further uh, reflection, we realize there's, there's actually quite a bit I don't, I don't know. So um, how do we go about, in our, in our Bible reading, Bible study, how do we go about solving problems? And so today we're going to talk about just a simple three-step um, process. You, you could make this into a ten-step process, um, but for simplicity's sake, let's just talk about three um, steps. And they're interrelated, but we're going to talk about them in, in the order I have there in your handout. But um, the first step is just listing the problems. So Remember, in the class so far, we've talked about um, observation, just reading the text to understand what it's saying. We're not even trying to um, 
do like theological interpretation yet. We're not trying to um, apply it yet. We just want to know what is actually there. What are the words on the page? Who's being talked about? Who, who's the subject? What's the context? Um, so as you do that, as you read, you encounter things you don't understand. And, and the first step is just to list them. Um, what don't you understand? What do you need to dig into a bit more? Um, and we're going to practice this in a few moments. So, but let me, I'm just giving you the, the ideas right now. So first step, what don't I get? Let me just jot down, you know, bullet points. Okay, don't, don't understand that. Second step, consult reference works. So Almost every question you might have about um, just facts in Scripture, you know, a, a, a person's name, you don't know who that person is, a place, you're not familiar with it, almost all of that can be answered very easily in a Bible dictionary, um, the maps in the back of your Bible, um, other reference works. So you're not left to like, you're not gonna, you don't need to fly over you know, to Turkey or Israel and start doing archaeological digs and and try to figure this all out. People have been studying the Bible for thousands of years, and there's really excellent um, reference works. Let me, I've mentioned these before, but I want to do it again because I want to keep saying this so that if you um, don't have some of these resources, maybe you can make a plan to invest in some of them. But I've mentioned before, you know, Study Bibles are great reference works, so you don't need to have a giant library to get some quality materials. You could have a single study Bible that might actually do the job for you. So those are three that I've recommended before, the ESV Study Bible, CSB Study Bible, NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. Each of these study Bibles is done by a team of scholars who are experts in their various fields, um, very uh, theologically sound um, you know, you really can't go wrong with, with any of those. And, and most of these study Bibles will give you answers to common questions that you might have about um, things you don't understand. Um, also, uh, these two commentaries, I actually used these this week as I was doing some study on um, a topic. The IVP, InterVarsity Press, Bible Background Commentary. There's an Old Testament volume, New Testament volume. And they just simply deal with um, cultural, historical, geographical things in, in Scripture. So, you know, you come across a custom and you're like, the sandal thing. Why do they do that? This will give you some good um, background. Very brief commentary. It's not like you're wading through, you know, 50 pages on, you know, sandals and what they were made of and, and how they've changed over time and all that. Like... There, there are Bible dictionaries that do that kind of thing, and it gets very tedious. Um, but these are great, concise. Um, another Bible dictionary that I often use, Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Um, as, it, as the title indicates, it's got pictures, <laughs> which can be really helpful. Um, and then there's others. Uh, this would require a bigger investment from you, the IVP Bible Dictionary Series. Eight volumes. I have like three um, Craig probably has a few of them. These are like, you're going to get articles about the history of sandals, okay? <laughs> Actually, there's more interesting material in there. But um, very, very in-depth articles. Although when I say in-depth, it could be like two or three pages that, that synthesizes you know, decades of historical research. Um, they're a little pricey. So I would recommend you start with a study Bible because these get, these, they're big, they're thick, they're heavy and um, they're expensive. But I find them to be very helpful. So consult reference works. Third step, um, so you've listed problems, you've, you've done a little digging, and now you need to kind of summarize, um, not kind of, you need to summarize your findings. You need to, you know, why spend all that time studying if you're just going to um, move on and not, kind of preserve your findings. Now, some of you have photographic memories. You don't need to write things down. I used to have a photographic memory, and I would say I no longer have a photographic memory, and I need to write things down. Um, need to 
um, preserve the, the research you've done. Now, when I say preserve, it could be as simple as a scrap of paper. You know, it could be, you know, these handouts we give you, you just jotted down some notes, but you want to summarize what you've found. Um, you could be writing in the margin of your Bible. I've told you all before I hate writing in my Bible because I look back at things I've written, you know, 15 years ago. I think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I just, it's embarrassing and I don't want to do that anymore. Um, you know, you could, you could just, this is an example of sometimes I do handwritten notes when I'm preparing for sermons. This is a, from a sermon I did on Mark um, several years ago. And I just, at that time, it was easier for me to write down some notes. Um, most of the time, I, I take digital notes. I have, I'm not going to get into this, uh, it's too geeky, but I have like a personal knowledge-based system that I've created that works for me. Uh, I may be a pastor now, but there's still a software engineer deep down there somewhere. I use plain text files. Markdown, shell scripts, and wiki links if you're interested. But um, that, that's an example. This is you know, a list of different exegetical notes on different passages of scripture, and that's part of a, part of a, a note and what it looks like. That was just for some geeky, uh, geeky fun. But those are the three steps. Um, list the problems, consult reference works, and then summarize your findings. Now, I want to do this together just to um, get some practice. I know that most of you have done these kinds of things before, but it can be helpful to, to walk through the, the scenario. Um, so solving problems, identifying things we need to research. And we're going to look at 1 Samuel 17, verses 1 to 11. Now, um, nearly everyone here is familiar with this story. So in some ways, it's it's um, you know we might know a lot about it already, but it, another reason I chose this passage is because it's familiar. Um, we might not realize how many things are probably not familiar in in the text. So I've got it printed there in your handout, page two. Um, let's read it together. So it says, "Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle." And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Um, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So there's the story or the introduction to the story of David and Goliath. You know, one of those stories that if you grew up going to church and Sunday school, you know, you learn this from a young age, and, you know, if you've seen the VeggieTales version or other animated versions, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, there's these two armies, there's this big guy, there's little David, he's got his, you know, his sling, he gets the five stones, he, he throws one of them, slings one of them at Goliath, hits Goliath in the head, Goliath falls down, David, um, we'll, we'll see what he does later with the, with the head, um, and it's kind of a cool story. And maybe forget, I mean, there is so much detail that the narrator gives us, right? About the geography, where the different armies were lined up, the different villages, towns, cities, a lot of detail about Goliath's armor. 
um, a lot, just a lot in there that we probably don't really know all that much about just from our familiarity with kind of the kids' stories. Now, we talked about different categories of problems. Obvious problems, so just factual details that, that we're not familiar with, or things we thought we knew but not so sure. So as we read this story, and as you look at it there on your handout, what kinds of things come to mind about, like, hey, I don't know about that. I, need to, I would need to research that. Let's, let's do the list the problems step. Do you have something, Evan, or you just let me know you have the mic? Yeah, just just say them out loud. Go ahead, Eamon. Or Barbara. Okay, yeah, the weight. Yeah, the weight of the armor. That's good. Eamon, what do you have? Yeah, cubits, these measurements. What it, What is that all about? Um, we don't, we don't, we use feet and inches here. The rest of the world uses, you know, something else, whatever they use. Um, John, did you have something? Yeah, Soko, Ezeka, all the all these cities. You know, most of us, we have to exclude Shadi here. She probably has been to some of these places. Most of us don't know these sites in Israel. Um, what else stands out to you? Yeah, Weaver's Beam. What is that? Kevin. Yeah, yeah. So, the you know, why these two champions? What's that about? That's not how, you know... Um, certainly not how warfare is conducted today and not even how, you know, you think of like the American Revolution or something. We see these paintings of just two lines of armies, you know, coming together in a battlefield. So that's, that seems a little odd to us. What else? Yeah, yeah. What's that? Cheating. <laughs> yeah, Goliath has a shield bearer. <laughs> Daylin says he's cheating. Um, but... You know, was he cheating, or was that a common practice of the day? That that might be something we need to look into. <laughs> yeah, maybe his armor weighed too much. Um, that probably actually is a factor as we start to dig in. It's heavy, and it limits mobility. So, okay. Um, what about Goliath? I mean, we all have a picture in our mind of what he looks like, right? We... I. I um, this week went back and looked at a, a children's Bible that I've had since I was like five years old, and there's a painting in the in the Bible of of the scene of David and Goliath, and I realized, um, you know, I'm in my 40s now, so for all that time, I've pictured Goliath the way that I encountered him when I was like five years old, in, in a painting, and I have no idea what Goliath looked like, and and you all probably have you know, ideas of what he looked like as well. You know, um, how much did he weigh? Did he have a beard, not a beard? Did he have dark hair, light hair? Did he have, you know, bright white pearly teeth? Or, or were his teeth all like corroded and nasty? Um, you know, was he married? Uh, does he have siblings? I'll just add, there's another part of the scripture that says he does, did have a sibling. But, um, you know, did he have kids? Um, what was his profession? Was he a professional soldier or, or something else? Was he a weightlifter? You know, I, I don't know. Um, what other things? Yeah. Yeah, are we talking Andre the Giant big or um, like... Some movie, you know, we've seen with these like 50-foot giants. Um, what are we talking about here? That that's an example of maybe a hidden problem. We we know Goliath was tall, but how tall was he actually? Um, you know, is he? Um, and and we'll look. I'll, we'll we'll look at that in a few moments. Any anything else? Maybe maybe some other things that you know we've heard of, but realized maybe we're not so sure um, what what it actually is about. Kevin. Yeah, yeah. So what? what's kind of the, how, how does that work? Yeah. Is, is there a king leading the Philistines out to battle? There, there certainly Saul's there with the Israelites, but yeah. Um, who were the Philistines? 
you know, that, that's probably an example. We know the name. We know that the Philistines show up a lot, especially in, in First and Second Samuel, the story of David. But who were they? Uh, where did they live? Um, where did they come from? Um, how much of a threat were they to Israel? Is this, a big, is this battle a big deal, or is this just a little, like, kind of skirmish between two, you know, football teams that, that got on each other's nerves or something? Um, was this just a border skirmish, or is this um, an invasion? Are the Philistines invading Israel? Is Israel invading um, uh, Philistia? What, what's going on here? So again, you know, maybe we've read this story a handful of times and never really realized kind of what is going on in the in the bigger picture. Um, so any other? Listing problems. Any other problems you can think of? We, we've hit a lot of the, the key, one, key issues. All right, that, that all gives us plenty of material to work with, right? Those are plenty of items to begin researching. So what I want to do next, the second step is, um, uh, second step is consult the reference works. And so I want to show you just the kinds of how you'd go about that and the kinds of answers you might come up with as you look at study Bibles and other reference works. Um, so let's try to answer you know, some of the geographical um, questions, you know, um, especially the beginning of the passage, the, the opening verses. You know, you've got um, Soko, Judah, Azekah, Ephes, Damim, I'm not even sure if that's how you pronounce it, the Valley of Elah, um, so you've got all these these places. Let's um, let's just talk about geography for a moment. So most of most of you have Bibles with maps in the back, and obviously you know they they can't be super detailed because um, you can only fit so much in a single Bible. But you know if you were to look at a map of of Israel at the time, so this is you know uh, part of a, a map of the kingdom of Israel during roughly the time of Saul and, and David. And the places that, that 1 Samuel 17 is describing are, are roughly where this red box is, just to give you an idea. Here's Jerusalem. Here's the Dead Sea, you know, Mediterranean over here. All, all those towns, villages, valley that, that the um, narrator mentions are roughly right there. And you could look at a more detailed map. This comes from the Faith Life Study Bible that actually shows you, you know, those, those places that are mentioned. So again, you know, to the east, you see Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Um, if we had gone back and read like 1 Samuel 15, 16, we'd see that Saul comes from Gibeah, you know, over, heads west, and then south down to Soko, the region of, of Soko. And this um, right here is the, the Valley of Elah. So this is where that battle is, is taking place. And, and most likely you have the Philistines on, on one end of the valley, probably around Soko, and then the Israelites on the other side, the north side of the valley. And... Um, I was curious as I'm looking at this, well, what does that place actually look like? Um, now, again, remember, the Bible is talking, this is real history. This is real history in a real place that still exists. Um, I don't know, have you ever been there, Shadi? Okay, Shadi's been there, okay? Um, this is a real place. So I went to Wikipedia and um, looked up the Valley of Elah and found this photo of modern-day Valley of Elah, which is an agricultural area. Um, I guess there's, there's vineyards there and other, other crops that are grown there. And so you can kind of picture, I, I'm not sure the orientation of this, this photo, but you could picture you know, Israel on this, this hill and the Philistines on, on this side, and maybe they're clashing where these, these vineyards are and the, and the greenhouses. Um, but it, that just gave me, okay, I wanted to see what it looks like. Now, Wikipedia can get you a lot of good information. You probably don't want to go to Wikipedia for theological interpretation, but if you just want to look up, you know, like, 
geography, dates, that kind of stuff, there can be some great material there. Um, and as I saw this picture, I realized, I've, I've, I looked at it and I thought, I've seen that before, but I've never been to Israel. And I realized it actually doesn't look all that different than San Pasqual Valley right over here. Um, and so on the right, that's a picture I took like 15 years ago of San Pasqual Valley. And on the left is the, the Elah Valley in Israel. And you can see there's a lot of similarities. I mean, we're in a similar um, climate, similar terrain. So, you know, maybe if you want to better imagine the story of David and Goliath, take a trip out to San Pasquale Valley, you know, just a few miles east of here and just kind of sit by the side of the road and imagine, you know, this giant Philistine and little David and uh, that might help you envision it. But, okay, so, you know, look, you can look at maps. Um, study Bibles are going to give you some, some good um, details here. This is from the CSB Study Bible just the basic notes uh, on the chapter. It tells you about Soko, just a different spelling than in the, the ESV. But it tells us something important about this valley, Valley of Elah. It says it provides entrance to the highlands belonging to the tribe of Judah. So remember one of the questions I, I said that I had was, was just this just like an insignificant skirmish or is this you know a significant incursion? of the Philistines into um, Israel. Well, this tells us this is kind of the gateway. You know, if the Philistines can capture this, this spot, they've got kind of an open door into the, into the region of, of uh, Judah and, and perhaps can do more damage in Israel. So you realize, okay, this is kind of a, a big deal, um, big deal battle. Um, what about Goliath? You know, is that maybe that's what he looked like? That's that's a that's like Amon in armor. You know, um, the, he's pretty intimidating. Um, it does look a lot like Amon, doesn't it? <laughs> um, what do we know about? Sorry, Amon, I didn't mean to embarrass you. Um, what do we know about Goliath of Gath? Um, how would we find anything out about him? Oh, he's jumping. Um, well, we know just from the Bible, even from this text, he's, he's from Philistia. We know that it, he's from the, the town of Gath. His height, six cubits and a span. Somebody mentioned cubits. We know that, but we don't actually know what that means. Or, you know, just off the top of our heads, that doesn't tell us a whole lot. Um, his armor weighed 5,000 shekels. How many of you have shekels at home? How many of you know off the top of your head how much a shekel weighs? A bronze shekel versus an iron shekel, because the text mentions both. I don't know. Um, spear like a weaver's beam. I read that and I'm like, perfect. I know exactly what they're talking about. No, I have no idea. Um, uh, what else? Spearhead, 600 shekels. So you've got all these things, all these items that, oh, I thought this story was so straightforward, and now realize there's a lot about Goliath I don't, no, off the top of my head. Well, where would I find some info? Well, the back of the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible has a chart that I never look at, and it's a table of weights and measures. I've only, I looked at it for this. Um, a table of weights and measures. So you've got all these weights and measures mentioned in the Bible, and it tries to tell you what a modern equivalent is. And so here we, we see a cubit is roughly... 18 inches. Uh, let me go back. Um, cubit is roughly 18 inches. A span, approximately 9 inches. Um, so that that gives you some idea. So Goliath is 6 cubits, 1 span. So that's approximately, uh, if we use this conversion, uh, 9 feet, 9 inches. Um, sometimes you'll see people say 9 feet, 6 inches. That's because... You know, different people will say, you know, some people will say a span is six inches, others say nine. Really not, you know, the three inches are neither here nor there. But nine feet, nine inches. So, so not a 50-foot tall giant, but certainly um, you're not, there's nobody in the Guinness Book of World Records that's that tall, um, right? I, don't think, <laughs> I haven't looked at the Guinness Book of World Records in a long time. Um, but here's an interesting note about Goliath's stature. 
So there's two um, early manuscripts that that give a different height. Um, two early manuscripts that that say he was six feet nine inches tall. So Septuagint and then um, from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are, are older um, manuscripts than than what our Bible translations are using most of the time. Um, but here's the thing. It, whether Goliath was nine feet nine inches or six feet um, nine inches, he towered over the average Israelite and especially David. Average male Israelite at that time, average height, would have been about five feet six inches. Now, I'm not going to get into, well, how do we decide are the Dead Sea Scrolls correct or the other scrolls correct? That's a complicated question. But whether he was nine foot or six foot, um, he's a big dude and a lot bigger than than the Israelite army. I mean, six foot nine, that's like, um, anybody follow basketball? That's like Jason Tatum or, um, you know, uh, Giannis is six foot 11. So, you know, these are big guys. Uh, Goliath, big guy over, you know, David, who's maybe this tall. Um Saul, what do, what do you remember the Bible saying about Saul and his height? Uh, the Bible says he was a head taller than, than most other men, so six foot plus. Um, you know, Saul is, would have been better suited to fight Goliath than scrawny old, uh, not scrawny old, scrawny young David. You know, David's, what, a teenager at the time? What's that? He did kill bears. That's a, that's a good point. He, he did kill bears. So maybe not so scrawny. But young David, um, Saul, the king, the military leader, tall, probably better suited. Um, the, uh, this was just noting, you know, the early manuscripts. But this is from the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. So that that's an interesting bit of information. Um, you know, it doesn't tell you, well, how do we decide and all that. But it, it's an interesting bit of info. Um, there's a, another resource, the Lexham Bible Dictionary, which is a free digital Bible dictionary, very high quality. Um, I'm going to talk more about it later. But um, it gives us a bunch of information about Goliath's uh, armor. So you see here his, his helmet uh, weighed approximately 30 pounds. Um, anybody know how much a football player's helmet weighs? I would imagine they, the, the people who make these helmets aim for you know, as light as possible while still protecting the brain. Um, you know, imagine wearing a 30-pound hat. I mean, that's... Uh, that's tough. Uh, his coat of mail, 5,000 shekels is roughly 150 pounds. Some of your study Bibles might say 125 pounds. Um, either way, imagine you know carrying an extra 150 pounds into battle. Um, how agile do you think you're going to be, even if you're Goliath? <laughs> um, maybe that's why you had an armor bearer. <laughs> You know, the hold, hold the shield, or because he's got significant amount of weight um, that he's carrying because of the armor. Um, his spear shaft, so the weaver's beam. You know, that that's about 15 pounds. So imagine carrying a, a staff, a spear that that weighs 15 pounds. You know, a hockey stick is like I don't know how many ounces. Pretty light. Um, this is, is a lot. And then his, the head of his spear, which the text told us was 600 shekels of iron. Again, about 15 pounds. So um, what does this make you think? You know, you got this question about Goliath's height, six foot nine, nine foot nine. What do these details, what might they incline you to think about his height? They make me think he's probably closer to the nine foot height than the six foot height because this is this is significant amount of weight and you you this would Goliath would have to be a strong guy, big uh, strong guy to to do this. Maybe somebody six foot nine could. I, I'm not sure, but um, 
We also um, learn that this one-on-one combat that he's challenging Israel to engage in, it, it's, anybody ever seen the movie Gladiator? You know, and you've got, um, <laughs> Darcy was embarrassed, but there were lots of people shaking their head. What's that? Yeah, yeah. You know, you see the Gladiator movie, and like, they're, they're so acrobatic, and like, you know, they're just taking these massive body blows and get back up, and it's all so ridiculous. But, um, you know, this wouldn't have looked like that. You know, imagine Goliath. I mean, he's probably like barely moving. Well, he's nine foot nine. He's got some mobility. But, um, you know, not maybe, you know, a, a, a gladiator type battle, something a little different. But, um, also, if you were to look in the Lexham Bible Dictionary, um, it's got this whole article about Goliath, and it talks about the narrative significance. Now, I know that's a lot. I'm not going to read all that. Um, but it talks about the significance of this story. Um, and it says, you know, Goliath insults the Israelites on three levels. You know, he, he taunts them, and it says theologically, he, he's saying, look, if I win this battle, you all are going to become servants of the Philistines, a, a pagan, idolatrous people. Yahweh is not going to be your Lord anymore. We're going to be your Lord. Um, socially, I mean, he, he's really, um, you know, he's basically saying, look, your, your so-called brave leader, Saul, why isn't he coming out to fight me? You, you all are wimps. Um, militarily, he, he really reduces the battle just to this single, um, this single encounter between two champions. And so, again, um, this article, most study Bibles don't have this kind of detail or information. Um, you could find this in a commentary on, on 1 Samuel, but one of the benefits of a Bible dictionary is it, it synthesizes, you know, research done by many scholars over lots of time and, and over lots of time, and just gives you kind of the the highlights. Sometimes commentary commentators just like go on and on and on, and you're like, what's the point? I've, I I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. And and Bible dictionaries um, can tend to be more to the point. Um, Let's, you know, if you were like, I actually don't know much about the Philistines. Um, Lexham Bible Dictionary has this whole article. This is, the table of con- this is the table of contents for the article on the Philistines. I mean, if you didn't know about the Philistines, you can go and you can read more than you ever wanted to know about the Philistines. When they entered into Palestine, you know, political things, you can learn all about the pottery that they introduced to uh, Palestine, you, can, you learn that they come from the Aegean area, you know, southern Greece, and they brought, you know, pottery styles from southern Greece into uh, Palestine, Israel. Um, you can learn about architecture, you can learn about their religions, which actually is somewhat relevant for understanding parts of the Bible. Um, Dagon, remember there's a story about Dagon's little uh, idol and, and the Israelites, um, and then other you know, where they're mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. Um, It's pretty detailed. You get a lot of information. There's the pottery. Um, You know, they come from the Aegean area. They they brought innovations to the area, pottery, building styles, um, even city planning. Um, So you get a better feel for the Philistines. I mean, when you think of a Philistine, what do you think of? I think of like a barbarian. (laughs) Yeah, but they weren't. I mean, they were real people. They they actually had pretty sophisticated um, city planning um, methods, and and the Israelites and other peoples in the areas adopted those those methods. So it just adds some color to um, what what we're reading in the Bible. So going back to Goliath, um, you know, our research as we're we're consulting the reference works, we've learned quite a bit about him. You know. Nine, almost ten foot. Um, his, the amount of armor that he carried was, or the weight of it was, significant. Um, this is a key battle in in Israel's history and life. You know, depending on how the battle goes, um, they may become um, uh, an occupied uh, people, or they might 
repel an invading force. But there's, you know, we've learned a lot, but there's still a lot we don't know, right? Like I mentioned, was, was Goliath married? Um, what was Goliath's profession? Um, did he have kids? Um, you know, uh, did Goliath really think he was going to win? Um, you know, how many battles had he won before this? Um, you know, there's a lot we don't know. Um, but there's, uh, there's still, you know, there's archaeolo- archaeologists still digging in, in Israel and the surrounding area, still finding things. Just a few years ago, um, archaeologists discovered a, an ancient Philistine cemetery dated to roughly the time of, of this battle, um, the 10th to 9th centuries B.C., um, located in Ashkelon. Is any, that's been in the news a lot this weekend because of the, the conflict in Israel. Um, so it's a coastal city in, in Philist, ancient Philistia. And this article calls it um, a place where Goliath may have walked, just alluding to the fact that Goliath was a Philistine who lived roughly at this time. And um, they've found a lot about, or they've uncovered, you know, uh, this cemetery and have discovered things about how ancient Philistines buried people and, and things like that. Um, is anybody, does anybody get uh, queasy or uncomfortable if they see a photo of a skeleton? Somebody up front? Okay, don't look. <laughs> it's not that bad. Uh, here's, here's a skeleton they've, they've found where Goliath may have walked. Now, how do we know these aren't Goliath's remains? Tiny, and there's still a skull. Do you remember what happens after David uh, kills Goliath? Well, David um, uses Goliath's sword to uh, remove Goliath's head from his body. Uh, painting from the 1600s by Caravaggio, uh, depicting that. This is why I was saying scrawny young David. You know, David's always depicted in these paintings as just like a a typical like 15-year-old boy. But as Pat pointed out, he was probably not that typical. I mean, if he's killing bears and lions, um, I don't know any. T- I don't know any teenagers that do that now. Um, I certainly didn't do that. Um, so anyway, all that just to say, you know, there, there's value in looking into some of the archaeological uh, information that's available, reference works. Um, you know, and if we were to summarize our findings from First uh, Samuel 17. I already mentioned what we learned about Goliath's height, but we learned, you know, 1 Samuel 17 is a pivotal moment in Israel's history, um, especially in the early years of the, of the kingdom under Saul and then later David. Um, you know, you think about it, centuries before this event, Israel, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And the big um, event that the Bible talks about over and over again is that the exodus from Egypt. God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, sets them free to, to worship him, to be his people. This event represents, like, if the Philistines win, Israel's going backwards, back into slavery, back under foreign domination. Um, so it's kind of like, is God going to fight for his people? Is he going to deliver them again or let them, let them go back into slavery? Um, we, we learn Goliath was tall. However tall exactly he was, he was tall, he was fierce, he was an intimidating warrior. And Israel's fate is in the hands of not its, its king and military leader, but uh, a teenager, a shepherd. Um, so pretty significant event. Um, those are the basic steps you would do to research um, these kinds of things. Now, most of you... I would say, you know, probably a, a, percentage, a good percentage of you have a study Bible, so that's, that's a good resource. Maybe a number of you don't have really anything. Um, I just want to take a moment. I, this is not a sales pitch at all, but uh, Logos Bible Software. Craig and I use uh, expensive versions of Logos Bible Software that helps us with our research, but there's a free version, um, and it runs on desktop, mobile, web, and it comes with you know, a handful of Bibles, including the ESV, 
and it comes with the Lexham Bible Dictionary, which I showed screenshots of, um, really helpful. If, if you just want a basic Bible study resource, um, even a quick, even if you don't have a ton of resources in Logos, you can do quick Bible searches. Let me look up the word um, donkey in the Bible, and you find all the instances of donkey. I mean, you can do that with hard, hard copy concordances, but, but this does it really quickly. Um, also, you know, again, this is software geek stuff. It runs on Windows, Mac, you know, iOS, Android, so it's got all your bases covered. But if you don't have something and you're interested, you know, I would recommend downloading Logos. Um, very helpful Bible study resource. You wouldn't need to sit through an hour-long class of me showing you screenshots of these things. You could just look it up yourself. Um, very helpful. So. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Um, any questions about how to go about researching um, things you're not familiar with in the Bible? Good. I'm glad you guys got it all covered. No, I'm joking. <laughs> all right. Let me uh, let me finish uh, let me finish with prayer and and I'd encourage you again um, we've talked every week try to practice some of this stuff you know the the observation context researching problems um, looking at themes that kind of thing just try to um, to hone your your Bible study skills the the more you practice it um, the easier it'll become the more um, some of it will just become second nature. Like you'll sit down with your Bible and just automatically do some of that. Um, and again, the goal isn't like, some of you are probably like, I don't care how much a weaver's beam weighs. I mean, it's not that important. Um, the goal isn't to just accumulate a bunch of random trivia uh, about the Bible. It's, it's to be able to read the Bible well so that you're, you're meditating on God's Word being... Uh, refreshed, transformed by God's Word and um, finding God's Word to be engaging and, and life-impacting rather than just, we, man, all this talk about weaver's beams and, and all these places I don't understand. Um, this can help you engage the Bible more, uh, more faithfully. So uh, there's my little sales pitch. Let me, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. And, and we realize um, you know, it was written so many centuries ago in a, in a culture that was far different than ours. Um, but we pray that you would help us to be diligent students and to um, learn to read well, learn to understand your word so that our lives could be uh, transformed by it, so that we might be more and more conformed to the image of your Son. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. We're, we're done for this week. Um, next week's the captor theme, I don't remember what's next week. Obligations, obligations, which is about um, starting to apply uh, what we're learning. So obligations is a little narrow. I guess it needed to be O to fit with the acronym, but it's not just obligations. What, what should we believe, think, what should we know, think, believe about God's word? How should we respond in light of what it says? Are there commands to obey? To obey? Are there promises to believe? So forth. That's, that's what we'll cover next week. All right. That's all.